Good morning. Mike, thank you for sharing. I think as we step into a time of hearing God's Word, it's sobering that we're able to gather together uh, when there's war. But we are reminded of the war that's in our hearts and the same peace that we all long for is the one that we get to preach and to hear and be reminded of this morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Nick. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Sojourn. And if this is your first time here at Sojourn, I want to encourage you to go to SojournChattanooga.com. And at the top of the page, there's a big button that says Connect. Um, and that's a great way for you to ask some questions and, f- and figure out how you can get plugged into the life of Sojourn. Sojourners, we encourage you and we push you there week in and week out. as That's a great way for you to share how we can pray specifically for you. Your pastors pray for you. Um, we want to bring you before the throne of God, the King of Kings, and we want to know how we can do that specifically. As we dig in this morning, I want to, we're, we're continuing in our series in Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, but as we dig in this morning, I was reminded of a story um, of one that I share often, one that is one I get to share with my children. They're watching, and I'm sure this is going to um, um, mean that I'm going to have to wrestle them later. My son, Nico, you all have had a chance to meet him, meet him, is captivated by superheroes. Many of us are actually captivated by superheroes. This, this uh, phenomenon has definitely pervaded our culture, our society, and Nicholas Thomas Packery Jr. He loves the Hulk smash. He loves Spider-Man. And I am often the recipient of this hawk smash. And as of recent, um, when I do wrestle with them, it usually takes me three to four days to recover because it wears out my back. But as many of you know, we long for the next superhero movie, Marvel versus DC. Most people, I think, say Marvel these days. But interestingly, um, the twists, the plot twists, are often very similar, aren't they? Someone discovers or develops some sort of superpower. Pretty simple. And at some point, they experience some sort of internal conflict. This internal conflict is cultivated by, uh, I think, an internal disruption, maybe from disappointing others, external circumstances. There's a bad guy, the supervillain. But they tend to overcome every time, don't they? Through some sort of self-motivation, trying a little bit harder, digging a little bit deeper for more power, more strength to run faster. And interestingly, we often treat the Christian life and transformation like this as well. We believe if we work harder, we will triumph over sin. This leads to an incredible amount of pressure that many of us place on ourselves. And many of you love to preach the gospel to others, but receiving the gospel yourself is much harder. Preaching the gospel to yourself is one that you often trouble to articulate. 
one commentator says, any approach to resisting temptation that consists solely or primarily of the teeth gritting, fist clenching, will racking resolve not to yield will ultimately fail. You see, we are not those superheroes that can work a little bit harder, to run a little bit faster, to find a new level of strength. So the problem before us is twofold. First, we have an unrealistic idea of transformation. And secondly, an unrealistic idea of what a new life in Christ will look like. This brings us to Colossians chapter 3. If you were here last week, you heard Pastor Isaiah preach what he called a pivot sermon. In Colossians 2.6, Paul instructs us to walk in him. And now Paul is transitioning to these commands. And Paul is given further instruction as to what walking in him would look like for the believer in Christ. As Pastor Isaiah preached last week, the floodgates have opened. And in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul moves us from belief to for fruit and action of our faith. While, while we are called to action through union with Christ, Paul is very clear that life with Christ is only possible through his resurrecting power. So today, our big idea that we're going to be jumping into is the fullness of joy is found in Christ's transforming power. The fullness of joy is found in Christ's transforming power. And we're going to see this in three areas. First is the risen Christ. Secondly, life with Christ. And finally, the glory of Christ. I'm going to ask everybody to stand as we read God's word this morning. We want to remember that it is God's word, it is God's voice that is speaking to us. So we want to stand in honor. So after I read the, the passage, there will be an underlined portion for you to respond to. Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. This is the word of God. Pray with me. Father, we come before you with our hands wide open, asking for your spirit to convict us of sin, asking for your word to speak to us. Transform us through your word. We long to hear your, your, your voice in a broken, troubled world. Father, but you invite us each week to gather together with fellow believers to open your word, to hear you speak. Change us, transform us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. First, we see the risen Christ. Paul begins chapter 3 with this since then or if then statement. This is a conjunction that signifies a conclusion. In other words, Paul is saying, enough is enough. You have been raised with Christ, and through him, you have the power to flee sin. The power of the resurrection gives us a new way to fight sin. We don't have to focus all of our efforts on our sin. Instead, we triumph over sin when we fill our hearts and minds with the things above. And we'll jump a little bit more into this later. 
in verse 1, you see, you have been raised with Christ. Sam Storm, commentator, says, Paul's Christocentric focus is unmistakable. For the Christian, everything makes sense. Only when seen in terms of our identity, relationship, and union with Christ, we are with him in death, and we are with him in rising. So don't miss the importance of this reality this morning. Christ's atonement. That's a big theological word, and we're going to jump, I'm going to share four, four very important theological ideas around the atonement with you this morning. But it is in his atonement that we see that there was a required sacrifice. sacrifice. There was what we call propitiation, big word there. And we're going, I'm going to define all these for you. A substitution and reconciliation. You see, atonement is simply, it is a solution to the offense towards God that we caused by human sin. In other words, this is what we call original sin. That separated from God, separated us from God, from the sin of Adam and Eve. Colossians 1 verse 20 references this when Paul wrote, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This idea of sacrifice is seen in Hebrews chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which is offered for himself and for the sins of the people, for the sins that the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this what the way into the most holy place had not been yet dis- disclosed as long as the first tabernacle, tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices and being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They, were, they are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. But hear this, verse 11. But when Christ came as the high priest of, of the good things, they are now already here. He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus abstaining, obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and ashes of heifers sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more will the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God cleanse our consciences for acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? In verse 15, For this reason, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. For those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom, so to set them free 
from the sins committed under the first covenant. You see, Christ is depicted as an Old Testament priest who entered the holy place to offer sacrifice. But Christ did not offer the sacrifices of goats and calves, but instead himself. The blood of Jesus was the only sufficient sacrifice. The blood of Jesus was the only sufficient sacrifice. You see, we can say that Christ is somewhat of this super goat. His blood that was shed covered all of our sins, of the sins of all of humanity. Pro, propitiation. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4. This is this idea, and you, we'll, we'll dig a little bit more into this. It is poss- verse 4 says, It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, averting the wrath of God by offering a gift. It refers to turning away of the wrath of God as the just judgment of our sin by God's own provision of this sacrifice, Jesus Christ, on the cross. You see, wrath is what our, our sins deserve. But we are reconciled to God by God's love. God's wrath is often misunderstood, but hear this, the Bible is very clear. God's wrath is about righteousness, justice, and holiness. The wrath of God is about God's righteousness, holiness, and justice. And it's interesting that it was God who provided the sacrifice that he required. It was through that sacrifice that this wrath of God was satisfied. This idea of substitution, 1 Peter verse 2, 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by the wounds you have been healed. One commentator says, Christ took our place as a sacrificial victim, took the place of the worshiper, And I realize that the significance of sacrifice is widely disputed, and there are some who reject any substitutionary aspect. Hear this, there is no place, we don't have the space to go into this matter fully. I can only state dogmatically, the commentator says, that in my judgment, sacrifice cannot be satisfactorily understood without including an aspect of substitution. And Christ died as our sacrifice. He died accordingly as our substitute. We deserve death. But in God's grace, he provided himself as the great substitute. Finally, this idea of reconciliation, Romans 5, 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given us. Because Christ's death on the cross, we are no longer separated from God. His death satisfied God's wrath. This is the atonement that you needed. This is the atonement that I needed. It was needed for us to have life with Christ. And Paul says we have been raised with Christ. We have given the opportunity to participate and receive this new life. Brothers and sisters, you don't have to work any harder harder this morning to receive God's forgiveness. I share this idea, these big words, this, this theological foundation of the atonement 
to remind you that the work that was required, the death that was needed, Christ did on your behalf. Christ lived a perfect life that you could not live, died a death that you deserved. And as we know, on the, on the third day, he rose from the dead and now sits at the right hand of God. The power to put to death our old ways is the power that we find in Christ, in Christ alone. So then, enough is enough. If you have been raised with Christ, brothers and sisters, if you hold to the confessions that we shared together, that we spoke together, you can have new life this morning, and that new life is one of power and of joy the risen Christ brings you from death to life. You are no longer enslaved by the powers of this world. You are no longer at war with, with the spiritual realm, with the devil. You are no longer at war because Christ has won the war. So when we look to our battles, when we look to the war inside our hearts, we don't look to any man other than Christ who was God that can bring peace. The resurrected Christ transforms lives. This idea of resurrection is one that we, we preach, but we often forget the power of. So we see that the fullness of God's joy, the joy that we find in a transformed life, is found in the risen Christ. Now we see the fullness of joy in life with Christ. So if you have been resurrected with Christ, we can experience new life with Christ. Practically, Paul is showing us that the, what the resurrection means for us. There are two significant commands in this verse. Verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, hear this, set your hearts on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Paul tells, uh, tells the Colossian church to set their hearts and minds on the things above. The command opposes our hearts and minds being situated on the things of this world. Earthly things directly contradict the eternal hope and confidence that we find in Christ. Set can also be translated as seek, which is a command to act actively pursue righteousness. The Christian life is, the Christian is called to a life of holiness and righteousness. In our current cultural moment, it is becoming more and more common for people to like the idea of Jesus, but to deny the commands of Jesus. Pastor Isaiah preached on this a couple weeks ago, and we call this cultural Christianity. Setting our minds and our hearts on the things above is a call to complete transformation. You see, I like to think of this as not just a way of changing our external habits, but character formation. And you see, character formation is essential, non-negotiable to spiritual formation. Here's a quick definition for you of spiritual formation. The process by which God forms Christ's character in the believers by the ministry of the Holy Spirit in context of community in, in accordance to biblical standards. This process involves the transformation of the whole person in desires, 
thoughts, behaviors, and styles of relating with God and others. Such life is manifest in growing love for God and others, a dying to self and living for Christ. Thus, character transformation, character formation is spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is a formation of Christ's character in you and in me and in our community. The Apostle Paul told the Galatians that he was in, in pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in us, in you, he said to the Galatians 4, chapter, verse 19. God the Father desires for his adopted children to become, more increase, become increasingly like his son Jesus. This is the ultimate goal of the Christian life. The ultimate goal of spiritual formation, to become formed to the character of Christ. Michael Hyatt suggests three forces that shape our character. First, the input that we consume. Brothers and sisters, are you hearing the Word of God? Are you digging into the Word of God? Maybe listening to some other, thing, other books, some other podcasts, can be ways in which that we can shape our hearts and our character, the input that you consume matters. Hearing the Word of God, digesting the Word of God will be the most transforming thing that happens in your life. Next, the relationships we pursue. Cultivating relationships with fellow sojourners will be crucial to your growth. Are you just in rows with one another? Or are you living life with one another? The habits we acquire... These are simply the consistent ways that we think, speak, and act different. Are you doing the right thing because the right thing is always the right thing? It's simple, right? But it is so not simple. We are conformed by different conflict that it is easy to do the wrong thing. But you see, when we have been transformed by Christ... We seek to do what is right. We have all the things, we have all that we need to live a righteous life with Christ when you repent and give your life to Jesus and receive his Holy Spirit. The power of his Spirit is sufficient for you. And maybe as you're hearing this this morning, you're, you're feeling the tension of this. And maybe that tension, here's some words that you might put to it. Maybe you're hearing this idea of pursuing what is right as legalistic, maybe a moralistic pursuit of Christ. But I think John chapter 15 gives us a different picture. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does abide in me, does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers. 
and the branches are gathered and thrown into a fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. By, the fa- by this is my Father, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, as I have loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Hear this, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and my joy may be made full. You see, this is joy, joy. It's not just joy, but it's a joy that is made full. Man, there's a lot that we can rest in when we know we abide in the Father. There's a greater level of joy. We no longer have to look to external circumstances anymore. We no longer have to look to our self-motivation to find joy. Dallas Willard wrote, To know Christ in the modern world is to know Him in your world. To know Him in your world is to now live interactively, actively with Him where you are in your, your daily activities. This is the spiritual life in Christ. Life with Christ is one of joy and satisfaction. You see, when we talk about pursuing what is right and what is good and what is true, what is beautiful, it isn't about what you can do. It is about what God can do. And it is not what He can do. It is what He has done for you on your behalf on the cross. A transformed life not only experiences the fullness of joy, but it anticipates the life that is to come. And man, don't we feel that this morning with the war that is around the world. May our prayer be simply, Jesus, come again. You see, this idea is the glory of Christ. As we transition to verses 3 and 4, we see the reinforcement of the previous two. In in addition, Paul is shifting our gaze from the present life to our life that is to come in Christ. Don't we need that this morning? Verse 3, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory prior to christ you were more you were not just broken but you were dead see when we look at brokenness it is so easy to think that we just need to be fixed but paul and the scriptures paint a very different picture than just needing to be fixed god is telling us that you don't need to be fixed, that you need a new life, you need a new heart. See, we can't begin to set our hearts and minds on the things that are above until we have experienced new life in Christ. In the Old Testament, Ezekiel 37, 4 through 9, shares about this. Verse 4 says, Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to those bones. I will make breath enter you and, I, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. 
I will put to... I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. The bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and the tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breathe from the four winds and breath into the, these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as I was commanded and breathe, enter, breath entered them. They came to life and they stood up on their feet, a vast army. Christians share in the same type of resurrection. By God's abundant grace and mercy, He pursued you through His perfect love to satisfy the wrath of our sin. Brothers and sisters, don't forget this. If you are walking with Christ, if you claim to be a Christian, if you have repented of your sin... You have been given this life. You partake in this resurrection. You were a part of the valley of dry bones. And God gave you a new life. And if you are here and you're exploring Christianity for the first time, hear this. This new life is available to you this morning. Christ died on the cross on your behalf, on my behalf. He wants to invite you into this family that we call the church. He wants to invite you to eternal hope and eternal life with Him. Christians, we forget this so quickly. But God was abundant in His mercy and grace to you. He pursued you despite you running quickly away from Him. But you see, there's more than just what's on the other side of heaven. The kingdom of God is already but not yet kingdom. Verse 4 directs our attention to the life that is to come. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with Him in glory, and we share in this inheritance. Another commentator says, The day of glory may be future, as the past tense of this verb, glorified, implies. Is arrival of, the arrival is as sure as if it were already here. For those whose faith is placed in Him, Christ, is already their glory, a cert, as certain as, as He is their hope. The hope and the glory are comprehended, com- comprehended in this life, which is the people which is his people have in him. Brothers and sisters, our, per- our perspective changes. When we are with Christ, you no longer have to share the same narrative of the Marvel comics, the DC comics. You don't have to work any harder. And you see, the way that we flee sin, the way that we find life in Christ is not one that we work harder. It's the one that we seek righteousness. When we fill our hearts with the things that are eternal, when we fill 
our hearts and our minds with the things that are of Christ, that are beautiful and are true, we begin to experience joy and fullness in Christ. Brothers and sisters, this joy and fullness is for you. As we close, I want to remind you of something. And that this idea of transformation isn't new to the church, it isn't new to the kingdom of God, and is not new to sojourn. If you step right out, there are six frames, and one of our key values here at Sojourn is that we believe in transformation. Very simply, Jesus changes everything. King Jesus became like us to transform us. He met us where we are, where we were, but he did not and will not leave us there. See, God's kingdom is so beautiful. He loves you and invites you to come as you are, but he loves you so much he will not leave you as you are. That is a promise that the scriptures proclaim through and through. He raised up from the de- from death to new life with him. He raised us and slowly but surely is transforming us into his image. Our death with Christ severed links, any links that we had with the values and life of the present world order. And our resurrection with Christ united out or connected us with the new heavenly eternal order. Or again, we died with him our old ways and have been raised with him in new ways. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is simple. Let's not overcomplicate it this morning. Christ died on your behalf and he offers new life to you. You see, this new life is costly. It literally costs everything. But the good news, it costs you nothing because Christ gave his life and paid a ransom on your behalf, on my behalf. So we can come this morning open-handed. We can come this morning ready to receive this beautiful gospel that unites this community. This is the gospel of hope, one that we have when we look at the hard things in the world and we look at the war. This is the very peace that has to reign in every heart. It is the only answer to war. It is the peace in Christ. So brothers and sisters, I want to ask you a very simple question. Will you pursue God and his righteousness for your life? Have you forgotten about the beauty of the gospel? Will you pursue God and his righteousness for your life? And that's pursuing what is true, what is good. You cannot fight sin on your own. You must be walking with the Father. Abiding in him is the only way to find joy the only way to have his joy and for your joy to be made full. And if you don't know Christ, the invitation is wide open. It is the greatest invitation I've ever received. There is nothing in this world that will satisfy your soul. There is nothing in this world that will bring peace in your heart other than the gospel of Jesus. Will you give your life to Jesus? Will you give your life to Jesus? And if you want to know what it means to give your life to Jesus, the pastors are available to you.
maybe who you came with would love to share more about that. As we continue to respond, we partake in a meal. We call this communion, and we have um, COVID-safe cups with a little wafer and juice in it. So here in a moment, we're going to have um, servers come up. They're going to stand on the left side and the right side of me. And you're going to follow the green um, arrows on the floor. And when they come, I want you to pause for a moment as they recite a blessing over, to, over you. This is the body broken for you and the blood shed for you. When we gather each week, we take this family meal. We want to be reminded of the gospel. Maybe before you come, you need to pause for a moment. Repent. Ask God where you need to ask for, for his forgiveness. Where is the, what is that sin that is overtaking your life, that is drowning you? I sit with people so often and they are overwhelmed by their sin and the brokenness of this world. And they begin, they think that they fight harder and they do what is right then they will find favor with God. But this meal is a reminder that we cannot find favor with God on our own. See, he died on the cross. His body was broken. His blood was shed to satisfy the wrath of God. And if you don't know Christ this morning, we want to encourage you, don't take of this. It's just bread and it's just juice. You don't need bread and juice this morning. You need Christ. You need a relationship with him. Don't rush through this. We know that we've gone a little bit longer today. We thought it was a priority to pause and, and, and pray and, and hear what's going on around the world. Lunch is waiting for you. Your day is waiting for you. Don't rush this time. This is one that we want to come to with our hands wide open, asking God to speak to us and to change our lives. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for just the joy that we find in a transformed life. We thank you that for the risen Christ that provides a new way to live life as we look to the hope that is to come with eternity with you. And Father, we just ask for you to come quickly this morning. Come again, because we know Eternity, there will be no war. Peace will reign. Joy will reign. And Father, we just want to take, experience a glimpse of that this morning. Thank you for this time. We pray all this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.